Today we deal with the, with the Trinity. Last week we talked about the Bible as the basis of our beliefs and the fact that we believe in the doctrine of sola scriptura, only the scripture, the Bible is the basis. If someone comes along after the Bible was completed and says, wait a minute, I have a new revelation concerning the Bible, then that begins a cult, and that person is, needs to be put somewhere else because we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and when it was finished, then we've got it all right here. All right? Now, having said that, we can look at what the Bible says about the Trinity today. The Marine Corps had sent me to Bahrain to stand up a new headquarters there. And uh, one of the things I had to do in doing that was to uh, order new furniture. We had a, a building there with the 5th Fleet of the Navy and, uh, but it didn't, it was just an empty building, so I had to order some new furniture. And we ordered it from the uh, civilian community there in Manama, Bahrain. And uh, as the furniture was being delivered, there was uh, three uh, people from, three Bahrainis that were delivering the furniture, and one of them could speak English. And as they were unloading the furniture and putting it inside our building, one of the guys, the English speaker, turned to me and he said, it was interesting, there was, I don't know why he did this, except he considered himself an evangelist, I suppose. He turned to me and he said, one God. And I said, okay, yeah, right, one God. And he said, no son, no spirit, one God. And I said, uh, well, yeah, there's God, one God, but he shows himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And he said, uh-uh-uh-uh, you'll find out when you die. Well, I chose not to get in a deep theological discussion <laughs> with him there while he was moving furniture, but I thought, oh yeah, same to you, fella. You find out when you die. There is a God the Father, a God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about. Last week we established that the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God. And it is the authority for our beliefs. Psalm 147, 1 through 5 says, Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. That psalm just kind of touches a little bit about the greatness of God. He is just such a great God.
the Bible being the authority of our beliefs, that being the case, we can easily show that that Muslim fellow is wrong and that God is really three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A, a mystery, though, that you have to be God to fully understand. Now, we'll start today by taking a look at what the Bible says about God the Father. God the Father. I'll give you a short explanation of how some other people see God, uh, but before we dig into the Bible, let's take a look at that. To other religions, their God is someone that they seek Him. The, our, the one true God is always seeking us. He loves us and he wants to find us. He's, he's always there for us. From Genesis to Revelation, God is looking for us. In Genesis 3.9, we see God walking in the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? In Revelation 3.20, we see Jesus saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's always looking for us. In these other religions, it's always, How do I find my God? How do I figure out a way to, to get God's attention somehow out there? I was um, in Seoul, Korea. Uh, doing one of those military exercises that we've apparently decided to quit doing now. But I was, I was standing watch late one night with a, a Korean Marine officer, and we were sitting at the table. It was mid-watch, so it was the middle of the night. and wasn't much going on. And this uh, uh, Korean and I, he spoke very good English, and, uh, and he we got to talking about our individual faith, and he was a Buddhist. And so we got to talking about how we prayed. And he said, how do you pray? And I said, oh, when I pray, when I talk to God, it is so, uh, so good. Excuse me. I, uh, I just talk to him like a friend. He's, he just means so much to me. I could just talk to God and and. Uh, I have a sense that he's communicating back to me, and I can talk to him about anything. I can talk to God about what color of socks I'm going to wear. You know, I, I can talk to God about anything, and and uh, it's just a, a warm personal relationship. I said, "How do you talk to to Buddha?" And he said, "Oh, I'd not like you do." He said, "The way I pray is." I am trying to become a Buddha. He said, what I do is I put my hands like this, and I say, Buddha, 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 Buddha. And he said, the more times I can say Buddha, 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 the more I become like Buddha, or I become a Buddha. And I said, okay, how long is that going to take? Will you become a Buddha at some point in your life? And he laughed and said, no, no, never. That's, that's, you can never become a Buddha. It's just something to strive for. You're just working to become one. Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. 
I thought, how sad is that? It's something you strive for. Now, there's a lot more to that religion than that, but that's, but, but that's the prayer that he's trying for. But our God is so available to us. That's the kind of God that we serve. Aren't you glad? We have a loving God who's always available. Atheists. Let's talk about atheists for a second. Atheists believe there is no God. If they're right, there is no moral right or wrong. There is neither good nor bad. Only what's expedient to get by in this world. Get by with your neighbors. Get along with your neighbors. There's no basis for the deep religious instincts that we have. We like to say that there is a God-shaped vacuum in each one of our hearts. That we have that, that vacuum that needs to be filled by God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has set eternity in their hearts. We have that vacuum. And atheists try to fill that vacuum with all kinds of things, from scientific theories to philosophies. They face death without any hope. Atheists have no hope for life after death. Of course, they, they like in their philosophy, they don't believe there is life after death. And like the Muslim said, when you die, you'll find out. And that's sad. Atheists. Agnostics is another group. Agnostics, agnostic literally means I know nothing. That's the Sergeant Schultz answer. I know nothing. Neither affirms nor denies the existence of God. They don't, they don't really know. And this is counter to the testimony of the prophets and the apostles. Job, Job 19.29, I'm sorry, Job 19.25 says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know. Job was the first book written of the Bible. Did you know that? It's the oldest book that we have. And even at that time, he said, I know my Redeemer lives. We can know our Redeemer lives. We know it in our hearts. But agnostics say, hey, I don't know anything for sure. An evangelist, I heard it talk one time. He said a friend of his introduced him to an atheist. And he said the, the, uh, he was talking to the atheist, and he said to him, you are an atheist. You don't believe that there's a God? The guy said, right, I, I, I don't believe there is a God. I am an atheist. He said, so you know everything there is to know about this God thing, right? And the guy said, well, I know enough to know that I don't believe there's a God. He said, you know it all. You've got it all nailed down. You know everything. There well, maybe not everything. So, oh, so there may be something you don't know. Well, okay, maybe there's something I don't know. So you're not really an atheist. You're an agnostic, Right? You're, there may be something you don't know, but okay, right, let's say I'm an agnostic. Yeah, all right. Well, if there's something you don't know, wouldn't you like to know it? 
Well, sure, you'd like to know. what. So you're not even an agnostic, man. You're a seeker. Let me tell you about Jesus. Isn't that cool? Agnostics. Another category is materialists. Materialists boast that there's no need for a God. The whole focus on their mind is eat, drink, and be merry. He who dies with the most toys wins. Live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse. Wasn't that the James Dean philosophy? Which he did. But you got to wonder what he's thinking now. I'm afraid America is full of these. Just get more stuff. Get everything you can. Accumulate everything you can. So when you die, you've got a whole lot of stuff. But you can't take it with you. And then uh, the worldly fool is the next category. The worldly fool hopes there is no God. Doesn't want to think about having to be judged someday. Doesn't even want to think about it. Sort of like a person that has cancer. Have pretty good pretty good. Uh, evidence that I've got cancer but I don't want to go get tested because I may find out that I really do have cancer so I'd rather just keep my head in the sand isn't that silly well that's what the worldly fool does just doesn't want to know and then the final category is the Christian oh yeah the Christian realizes we can't live without God God is the one that we've got to have in our lives. We cannot do without God. So let's talk about, for just a minute, the attributes of this wonderful person we know as God, God the Father. One interesting thing that I've learned is we tend to see God as we see our own fathers, so sometimes we have to get past some rough places in dealing in, in our picture of God. My dad was, was harsh. And I'm being sweet to Papa because he's already gone on. But he was harsh is a gentle word for what Papa was. And so I tended, growing up, I tended to see, uh, and Papa was, a, I mean, as he got old, he became a real sweetheart. And Papa loved the Lord, and, and we never had any question that he, was, that he was a man of great faith and so on. But, but uh, he would, he'd dish out the punishment. And so I tended to think of God as being, uh, God the Father being this, holding a hammer waiting for me to mess up so he could slam me. And sometimes we need to look at the attributes of God and get past our old preconceived notions that maybe we came up with because we equated God with the way we saw our earthly fathers. God's not like our earthly fathers. Earthly fathers all sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God the Father never sinned. So we need to look at who God the Father really is 
and then start giving him credit for being totally sinless and accept him for being a great God, somebody special. The attributes of God, he has complete power, omnipotence, omnipotence, omnipotence. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, nothing is too hard for you. There are some things God cannot do. He can't lie. He can't sin. He cannot deny himself. He can't act contrary to his nature. He is God. Uh, one passage, and I don't know if I put it in your notes or not, but you might want to write it down. You can look it up. Numbers 23, 19 is an example of what I'm talking about, his omnipotence. Secondly, he knows everything. That's why when we're praying to God, we can say, all right, God, you know details that I can only think I know. And sometimes, frequently, I'm wrong, but you know everything about it. So, God, you are omniscient, omniscience. Spell science and put omni in front of it. You are omniscient. You know everything. Psalm 147.5 we read just a moment ago. His understanding has no limit. What a comforting thought when you put that with the fact that he cares about us. He knows everything there is to know about us and about everything else. God knows it all. Number three. He is everywhere and able to use his power everywhere at once. Omnipresence. He's everywhere at once. That's a, boy, that's a pretty exciting fellow to know, isn't it? He likes us and he's everywhere at once. So he knows what to do. Omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. Acts 17, 24 to 28. This is Paul's message to the Athenians, and I suggest you look at it. Again, Acts 17, 24 to 28. I'm not going to read it to you. Take your time to look it up for yourself. It's a, it's a nifty scripture there about God's omnip, omnipresence. And then I added another one. I guess you could write down omni-wise but it doesn't really work. But God is all wise. He is so wise that he knows how to use the three omnis in exactly the right way. Aren't you glad that God uses his godly wisdom in exactly the right way? By this, God uses the other three attributes to bring about his blessed will. So that's the, those are the attributes of God. And now we'll look at the nature of God, God's nature. Here are a few elements of God's nature, and you might be able, in doing your own research about who God is and so on, you might be able to come up with your own elements of God's nature. But one, God is love. That's the one we all like so much because we see God with all these omnis and stuff loving us so he can use them to our benefit. Thank you, God. 1 John 4, 8 and 16 are passages of Scripture that talk about that. God is love. You don't have to 
do this thing. No, God is love. He's already there. Second, God is just. Deuteronomy 32, 4. God is a just God. Now, hold on just a second. He is also a God of mercy. 2 Peter 3, 9. So he is a God of, he's a just God, and he's a God of mercy. How does that work? He just, as a God of mercy, he just keeps on forgiving. How can he be just and merciful at the same time? If you're a just God, don't you get the punishment that you deserve? He punishes sin, but, he all, but always in love, ready to forgive. God punishes sin, but always in love, ready to forgive. God is a just God, but he's a merciful God. That's God the Father. Now God the Son. Next week, the entire message is going to be about Jesus Christ, about why Jesus came, and about his nature and so on. So I'll, right now, I'll just spend a, a couple of minutes on Jesus Christ. Jesus' coming was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. He was born of a virgin. He laid down his life for our sins. He arose again on the third day. He sits on the right hand of God, interceding for us. Jesus has two natures. He is fully God and fully man. There's another one of those, how does that happen? And we don't know. But aren't you glad? Jesus is fully two things. As man, he went through everything we go through, including the temptations that we go through. As God, he never gave in to the temptations. So he was able to die for our sins So because he never committed any sins. I read this quote. The marvel and significance of the gospel is that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. Did you get that? The Son of God became the Son of Men so that the sons of men could become the sons of God and daughters, you know, using the generic term there. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 puts it, How great is the love the Father has lavished, us, lavished on us. Again, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. That's Jesus. And again, next week we'll talk all about Jesus. Now let's get down to God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. Like most Baptist preachers, I have an entire series of sermons on the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to keep you here long enough to preach the entire series this morning, but I've picked out some things to, to include in, in today's message. Like most, I'm sorry, sorry, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Truly God and therefore co-equal with the Father and the Son. 
Matthew 28, 19 says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three. Those are the names in which we baptize. Since he is spirit, he does not have to be seen or felt to know that he is here. The promise of God when Jesus said, I'm going away, and when, I, when I'm gone, I will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to dwell with you. And then at Pentecost, he sent the Comforter. And now when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit, and you get all of the Holy Spirit that there is to get at the moment that you get saved. You get all of the Holy Spirit. He has a personality, as shown by the scriptures, that point out that he has emotions, he has a mind, and he has a will. Those who see the Holy Spirit as some kind of a nebulous force or thought pattern are distorting the Holy Spirit of the Bible. The Holy Spirit is a distinct personality. Nor are the outward manifestations like hands-on healing or speaking in tongues requirements for salvation. That's not scriptural. There are people that say that if you don't do those things, you're not going to heaven. That is not a requirement for salvation. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and people got saved and empowered by the Holy Spirit, they received all of the Holy Spirit there was. There's not some special after effect by the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was a, a young youth minister... I told you in a previous message about we ran a coffee house in downtown. And one of the, th the things that we did was uh, uh, we were just open to anybody that wanted to come in and talk about, you know, God and their faith and so on. And we had a couple of guys that God had brought out of, a, out of the drug culture. And, boy, they really got saved, and, and they were so excited about their salvation. They've been saved for a couple of years now, and they came in and played their guitars and sang and did all that, and it was just it was exciting to talk to those guys. They had long hair and, and all kinds of interesting stuff. And, and these guys came in, and they got to talking to me after we closed one night, and they said, I... Joe, you're really missing something. And I said, yeah, what am I missing? They said, you're not speaking in tongues. And I said, you're right, I'm not speaking in tongues. And, 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 and they said, well, we can help you speak in tongues because you're missing out on something here. And I said, well, I want everything there is, man. I was like 25 years old. I said, I want, if I'm missing something, I, I want it all. But I don't think you should have to help me speak in tongues. If it is of the Holy Spirit, then I think that the, that the Holy Spirit 
should help me do that. Now, let me be careful here. I am not telling you that your personal experience is invalid. Some people have what they call a prayer language. Uh, I, that's between you and God, all right? I'm telling you what happened to me. So on my way home, I pulled the car over to the side of the road, and I got to talking to God, and I said, God, am I missing something here? Am I, is there something I need? Please, if, there's, if this is a greater blessing that will help me in my ministry or it will help me in my relationship with you, I'm begging you right now, give me that gift and I prayed for quite a long time. And I even did some silly things to try to make this happen. And, and nothing happened. So I'm telling you my personal experience, that didn't happen. Now again, I'm not, I'm not talking about you and your personal experience. I'm telling you about what happened to me, okay? But I do believe that it is not essential for salvation. Because if it were essential for salvation, then everybody who gets saved would have that experience. Okay? Enough of that. But the Holy Spirit works in believers and unbelievers. And sometimes, as I said a while ago, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be felt. But once in a while, we do have that wonderful experience where we kind of feel the Holy Spirit or where you, did you ever do that? Did you just feel the Spirit in the room or, you're, or maybe you're by yourself and you're just talking to him and you just have a sense of, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for being close to me. It's, there, there was a pamphlet that came out a long time ago from Campus Crusade for Christ called The Four Spiritual Laws. And one of the things that, it, that it illustrations it uses is a train. And you have the engine, which is fact of the coming of Christ and, and that he comes into your life when you pray to receive him. And the caboose is the feeling. The train will run just fine without a caboose. But the caboose is nice to have. And so you get the feeling once in a while. And you say, thank you, Lord, for the feeling when, when once in a while something happens and you just have this wonderful feeling. I remember me telling you about praying with Dr. Charlie Culpepper, the guy that had been in China with the Shantung Revival. And I, I remember that, that special moment when it just seemed like we were just, the expression I used was touching the hem of Jesus' garment as I listened to that man pray. And I said, oh, thank you, Lord. Well, sometimes you feel the Holy Spirit, but not always. But you can be assured that he indwells you if you've prayed to receive Christ, that he's in your life and he hears every word you, you say and that he loves you so very deeply. Thank you, Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit works in believers and unbelievers. He works in believers to draw in unbelievers to draw attention to Christ. John 16:13 to 14. He works in unbelievers to convict of sin. That is probably the primary thing that he does in an unbeliever to convict them of sin, the need for him. John 16:8 through 11. And 
He works in the unbeliever to produce the new birth, to bring about salvation in the unbeliever. And he also works in the believer. He, work, he does a lot of work. I'm going to very quickly list 10 things that he does in the life of, of the believer. Now, most of the people in this room will be people that are already believers, and you'll recognize how the Holy Spirit works in your life with many of these things. First of all, he lives in us permanently to mark us as God's own possession. He's right here with us to keep us with him forever. Second, he seals us to guarantee our ultimate salvation. We are sealed. Third, he gives power for life and ministry. He gives us that power so that we can be about our witness, our testimony, or whatever ministry he may have for us to do. He comes, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. He produces Christian character in us. Christian character. That uh, passage in Galatians 5, 22, 23, where he lists the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and then he helps to bring about those fruits of the Spirit in your life. He teaches us, 1 Corinthians 2, 10, teaches us. He intercedes for us when we have trouble praying. Did you ever go through one of those times where you just felt so down? So hard to pray. Oh, God, just the groanings. I, God, I don't even know what to say. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us at those times and speaks for us, speaks on our behalf to God. He helps us to recognize false teachings about Christ. When somebody is saying something and we just, we say, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't seem quite right. I better go check that out. I better read my Bible and make sure that what I'm hearing is the truth. Holy Spirit helps us to do that. It empowers God's messengers. That includes the messengers and messengers. All of us who have a message to tell other people. The Holy Spirit empowers us. It equips us to serve one another. Be about God's business. Serving each other. God said, uh, the, Jesus said, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Serving one another. And finally, the Holy Spirit guides us. Every feeling you get from the Holy Spirit is not necessarily a good feeling. Sometimes you feel kind of rotten when the Holy Spirit talks to you, right? Because the Holy Spirit's saying, boy, you messed up. You need to get straightened out. And so you go talk to him and say, okay, Holy Spirit, give me a sense of direction here. What do I need to do? Do I need to ask forgiveness? Do I need to forgive? Do I need to go to somebody and talk to him? Whatever I need to do, help me to do it. So, the three in one. The title of my message may have been a little misleading if you thought I was going to explain to you exactly how the Trinity works. Perfect understanding for mankind is not possible. We are finite. Daniel Webster said of the Trinity, 
Do you expect to understand the arithmetic of God? I don't think so. But we know the Trinity is reality if we believe the Bible. There are many references to the three in one. Perhaps one of the most striking passages to me is found in John 14, where Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to send them the Holy Spirit. And it's in verse 26. He says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, God the Father, will send in my name. So there's the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and then Jesus will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. There's the three in one right there in that verse. One last thought about God's spirit. Genesis 6.3 says, His spirit will not always strive with a man. I remember a fellow that I was dealing with that I kept trying to tell him how to be saved. And he just was not interested. And I was so sorry for him because I, he, we had become quite good friends. We had been introduced so that I would tell him how to be saved. And we, we, we made a trip down to uh, Mexico together one time. And, and, you know, I just kept trying to find, get him interested in the gospel because he was a good bit older than I was. And I knew he couldn't live a whole lot longer. And I just wanted to. And then during one of our trips one time, he said, he said uh, you know, I worked with a guy for 16 years. I think I told you about this. I worked for a guy for 16 years who kept on pushing this stuff on me. And he said, uh, I told him no, and I'm telling you no. He had said no so many times that the Spirit had quit working on him. The Spirit will not always strive with you. It says down in Genesis chapter 6, the Spirit will not always work on you. Folks, if you are in this room today and you've not given your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit is saying you need to get this taken care of today, do it now because the Spirit will not always strive with you. Don't keep saying no. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you've never prayed to receive Christ, you can invite him into your life right now. You can accept this Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. You can invite the Holy Spirit to come in and take up residence in your life. You can do that right now. And God the Father will become your father. You do that by recognizing that you have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned. You, can do, you do that by recognizing that the penalty for sin is death. Eternal separation from God and eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. But you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. Invite the Holy Spirit to take up residence there. Accept Jesus' death as payment for your sins and ask him to become the Lord and master of your life. Would you do that right now? Just pray a prayer something like this. Jesus, oh Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know I've sinned. I know the penalty for sin 
is death, eternal separation from God in hell. Right now, I accept Jesus' death as payment for my sin, and I invite you to become my master, to become my Lord, and to become my Savior. Please come into my life right now. I give myself to you. Dear Jesus, I pray that right now during this time of commitment that everybody in this room will completely commit themselves to you and that nobody will leave here without having a perfect relationship with you, as perfect as it can be. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? Christians, would you continue to pray? And if you need to make a commitment to Christ, we have counselors standing here at the front. You can come down and talk to one of them about the next step to take. While we just wait for a couple of more minutes, you come and talk to one of them. They can take you to a counseling room and tell you about what Christ can do in your life to take you to the next level of this wonderful relationship with the triune God that the Holy Spirit can take up residence and be the Lord of your life. And you'll have a new father and a new brother in Jesus Christ while we're waiting right now. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege we have of knowing you as Father and God. We thank you for Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And we thank you for the warmth that we experience in knowing you in all these ways. We pray now that you will go with us as we leave this place Help us to be faithful to you, and as you open doors for us to share our faith, help us to be uh, available so that we are anxious to share this wonderful story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Next week, all about Jesus. We'll see you then. God bless you.